are in Daniel chapter number 5, and while you're turning there and getting situated, uh, let, me, let me just let you give you a little bit of a commercial for our next series. I'm excited about it. Uh, we're going to go through a four-week series uh, starting here in a couple of weeks and through the end of the year, uh, talking about peace. Uh, in the Christmas story, we, we read in Luke chapter number 2, we know the angels came down to the shepherds. Uh, and after the, uh, the main angel spoke to them and said, you know, fear not, I'll, be, I'll bring you good tidings of great joy, told them about baby Jesus, you'll find him in the manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Then we know that there was a great multitude, a host, a heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth what? Peace. And on earth, peace. And so we're going to talk about peace. If, there is ever, is there, if there's ever something that we need in this world, uh, and probably something that we question if we can ever have, it's peace. And so we're going to spend a few weeks talking about peace, how we can have peace, how we can have peace with other people, uh, how we can have peace while we're waiting on God, and how we can have peace when we don't agree with God. And so uh, I'm excited about that. So plan on being here uh, for those four weeks. And of course, if you can't or are not, you can go uh, listen to the lessons. We have our podcast wherever you catch those, uh, listen to your podcast. But we are in Daniel chapter number five today. Daniel chapter number 5, and I suppose it would help if I had notes out. Uh, I do not have this memorized. Uh, Daniel chapter number 5, and we are going to jump right into things today because we have a lot to go over, and uh, there is a uh, lot to learn here. And so Daniel chapter number 5, the events that we're going to read about, pick up 40 years after Daniel chapter number 4. So if you remember, we said that from Daniel 1 through Daniel 4, it's probably about 30 years or so. Daniel goes from being about a 13 to 15 year old boy uh, taken prisoner and taken to Babylon to where when Daniel 4 comes and he is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar and that whole situation, he's about in his mid-40s. And now 40 years have gone by and Daniel's an old man now. Daniel is Daniel's in retirement, way past retirement age. And he is an old man, and that's where we are. Uh, it takes, about, takes place at about 539 BC, and we find that Nebuchadnezzar, the king that we've been dealing with for most all of Daniel so far, is no longer the king anymore. He is gone. He has died since passed away, and his grandson, Belshazzar, is now the king. And we're going to pick up here in verse number one, but Belshazzar is throwing a massive party, just a, a massive party. And so, uh, in fact, look at with me at Daniel ch chapter number five. Look at verse number one. Daniel five, verse number one. Bible says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Now notice that that word wine, uh, if you were to study that out in the Hebrew in which it was originally written, it means lots of wine. So this is this is a this is a raging kegger basically. Uh, Belshazzar he has just thrown a wild party. Verse number two. Belshazzar while he's whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father or grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. And so they're they're throwing this massive party. They're drinking all of this wine, just massive amounts of alcohol. 
And they're using the cups, the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, and when he first conquered Israel, his army had taken out of the temple. The, the items that were used or supposed to be used for the worship of the one true God. And, and, and if you remember, I think we mentioned this uh, before, that in, in ancient times, in, in, in Bible times, when a nation conquered a nation, it wasn't just we conquered you, our nation conquered your nation. It was our gods are bigger and better and stronger than your gods, and that's why we won. And so that's why they would take all of those items uh, of religious significance and put them into their god's temple and, and, and use them for their idols. And so there's sacrilege going on. There's blasphemy going on at this party. But then look, it says uh, uh, at the end of verse number 2, that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. So notice that phrase, and his concubines. Now that's unusual because it, it, was, it was normal at a party like this where the king would be there and the king would have all of his rulers, all of his friends, all the leaders. He would have his wives and obviously he would normally have many, many wives. But then he would have concubines. Uh, and it was unusual for the concubines to be at a party like this. And so uh, Bible scholars and, and historians believe that Belshazzar, in this huge raging party with all of these people, have his, has his concubines there to be used by these other nobles and princes there. So you've got uh, uh, lots of wine. It's just uh, debauchery uh, at its highest. You've got open sacrilege, and then you've got a very sensual environment going on at this party. Just a terrible, terrible, wicked scene. And then look what happens. Verse number three. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Verse five. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote and so they're having this wild party lots of wine everybody's drunk everybody everybody's just doing crazy crazy things and then all of a sudden out of nowhere this bloody stump of a hand appears and starts writing on the wall you know uh like uh, this may date me, but it's like Thing, you know, from the Adams family. Uh, just the hand starts writing uh, on the wall. And, and, and obviously, this is already a crazy, crazy environment. And so to have something like that happen, every single person that is there, especially the king. So look at what the king's response is. Look at verse number six. Then the king's countenance was changed. I think you and I would be changed as well if we saw a hand writing on the wall. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote once, uh, smote one against another. Now, okay, you, you get the picture? The, the Bible's very, very clear of how the king feels about seeing this hand. He, he's, his knees were knocking together, literally, okay? Uh, that phrase there, the joints of his loins were loosed, uh, that means he probably soiled himself. Uh, that's how scared that he was seeing a hand writing on the wall, which again, before we judge, just think about how you would feel if you saw that. All right. Look at verse number seven. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, 
Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck, shall be the third ruler in his kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. So obviously everyone sees this message that's written up on the wall, and we'll see what it is in just a second. But no one understands what it means. No one, everybody can read it, but nobody understands it. Okay? And if you remember, uh, what, when the Spirit of God gives a revelation, then only the Spirit of God can give an interpretation. When the Spirit of God gives a revelation, only the Spirit of God can give an interpretation. These, uh, this, this kingdom, Belshazzar, all of his people, influenced by the Spirit of Babylon, they will not be able to understand something that is given by the Spirit of God. And so they're all troubled, and Belshazzar is just completely worried. He, he's, he's, he's thrown for, for a loop here. He doesn't know what to do. And then some advice is given to him. So look at verse number 10. It says, Now the queen, this is his grandmother, Nebuchadnezzar's wife. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father, thy grandfather, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, in whom the, king, uh, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. And so uh, Belshazzar's grandmother comes to him, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, and he says, hold on a minute, sonny boy. Before you get all worked up about this, there is someone who has experience with stuff like this before. I've seen it. There is someone who, when nobody else understood, he could interpret it. And so Belshazzar said, well, somebody go get Daniel. And so I can just imagine Daniel. He's 85 at this point. Okay? So Daniel's coming out of retirement. He's going to come back. You know, it's like Michael Jordan wearing a wizard's jersey, for those of you that get that. All right? Uh, Daniel's coming back out of retirement. He's got his walker. You know, he's, he's going to come interpret what has happened for the king. And so look what happens. Daniel comes out of retirement, and uh, he walks in, and I'm sure he looks up, and he says, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that means. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so look at verse number 25. Verse number 25. Daniel gives the interpretation. He says, and this is the writing that was written. So this is what was on the wall that everybody could see, but nobody understood why it was there. This is the writing that was written. Mene... Mene, Tekel, Apharsim. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So Mene, Tekel, Paris. Weighed, excuse me, numbered, weighed, Divided, and, and what's interesting about this, and, and, and Daniel goes on to explain what's about to happen to the king, that, that his kingdom is going to be taken from him because he's been lifted up with pride, because he did not repent and humble himself like his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had done. And so he tells uh, King Belshazzar, 
uh, king, this is going to be the end. Your kingdom is going to be taken from you. God has placed judgment on you. What's interesting is the day after, the day after, history tells us the day after the events of Daniel chapter number 5 were recorded, the Medo-Persian Empire came into Babylon, killed the king and all of the leaders, and took over Babylon the day after. Um, so, we've been talking about Daniel 1 through 4. We're trying to figure out how we can thrive in an ungodly world, uh, how do we can live godly in, in a godless culture. Uh, how we can thrive, not just survive. How we can be an influence, not just endure. Uh, we said this, um, Daniel 1 and 3. I think these are the first things on your handout. Daniel 1 and 3 teach us how we can resist the influence of Babylon. How to resist the influence of Babylon. How Babylon, the spirit of Babylon is trying to influence us. Um, how culture and society is trying to influence us. And so we, we have to understand their strategy. We have to see where it's coming from so that we can resist it. But that's only half the battle because then Daniel 2 and 4 tell us how to exert. It teaches exerting influence. We see Daniel exerting influence over Babylon. So we've learned both of those. We know we need to. But now in these last two weeks of lessons, we're, we're going to kind of shift our focus a little bit because if we're going to do that, if we're, we understand the need to, but if we're going to have influence, then we need both perspective and we need hope. We need perspective and we need a reason why. Why is that so important? So that's how we're going to finish our study with Daniel. So starting today, we're going to talk about the perspective that we need to have learning from Daniel 5 and the handwriting on the wall. Uh, we're going to learn the perspective that we need to have in order to be an influence on the world. So we're going to go through these three different words and see what perspective we should take from them. So first of all, number one, we see many or numbered. Many or numbered. Now, uh, I'm a history buff and I know many of you enjoy history. And so you study out the history of Daniel. There's a lot of history in Daniel. Uh, it's fascinating how you, you see the characters written about in Daniel and how they fit into the history books uh, that, that you study in, in school. And so when you read and study the history of Daniel, this part is throwing, mentioned in Daniel chapter 5, that's in the history books. That's, that is verifiable that he threw this party. And the reason why Belshazzar threw this party Okay? It wasn't just because he had a lot of spare time and spare money and spare wine and he wanted to get rid of it all. Belshazzar threw this party because one week before this, one week before this, Babylon and the Medo-Persian Empire have been fighting for a very long time. One week before this, the Medo-Persian Empire has completely wiped out the entire Babylonian army. They fought together, and they completely wiped. Babylon does not have an army right now to defend itself. And so in an attempt to try to have one last hurrah before their inevitable doom, Belshazzar throws this massive party just to have everybody forget about all their troubles. And so this is why they are throwing this party. They are awaiting inevitable death and defeat. So you think about this for just a second. Who in the world throws a party when death is at the doorstep? 
Who in the world throws a party when death is at the doorstep? And before you question that, let me say that that is more of a common thing in culture than we think. And it might even be something that's common in your life. And, and a thought process in your life. Because it's been around since the beginning. It's been around since the beginning to not have to think about the end, to not have to think about the finality of life, to not have to think about uh, when, when something may come to an end. Uh, Satan tried to use that on Eve in the garden. What was one of the things that Satan said to Eve as he tried to tempt her? He said, thou shalt not surely what? Die. Thou shalt not surely die. He didn't want Eve to think about the finality of life, but the important thing that we have to remember is that gives us perspective. Numbered. Our days are numbered. Daniel, as God wrote on the wall, and Daniel interpreted that for the king, he said, uh, Belshazzar, your days are numbered. The end is coming. And we all need to make sure that we remember that there is an end. There is an end. We don't like to think about that. Certainly, I'm not trying to be morbid this morning, but we need to have perspective. Uh, the French uh, philosopher and uh, scholar Blaise Pascal used this illustration. And he used to say that, uh, imagine life as if all of us are at a party. Okay? Uh, all of us are enjoying fellowship and fun and time together, and we're eating, and we're listening to music, we're just having a great time, and we're, we're, we're just, just enjoying life together. I mean, door bursts open and the most heinous, unbelievable, ugly monster that you have ever seen comes into the room, grabs somebody, mauls them to death, and then takes the body and drags it out the door and shuts the door. And all of us, sorry Christian, uh, all of us just kind of in shock and awe stare at each other thinking what in the world just happened? But within a couple of minutes, we go back to eating and talking and listening to music, and having a good time with, together. And then a few minutes later, the same monster bursts through the door and grabs somebody else and mauls them to death and takes the body and drags it slowly out the door. We all stare at each other and try to figure out what in the world is happening and how are we supposed to process this. And within just a few minutes, we go back to eating and listening to music and talking and having a good time. And, and, and what, what, what's the illustration? That party obviously is life, and, and, and all of us uh, uh, are, are a part of that. The monster is our impending death, and our preferred, and I say our as in society and in, in our world in general, our preferred way of dealing with it is with distraction. Our preferred way of dealing with death is with distraction. And distraction takes on different forms for different people. Uh, people, people use addiction. To distract themselves from the finality of life. Uh, people use amusement. Why is the entertainment industry so, so big in our world today? Because people need to be distracted. People even, and this may be some, 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 something that, that maybe some of you can relate to. People use apathy to distract. I just don't care. I'm not going to think about it. I don't care. Uh, but we all need to realize that there is... And end, okay? Uh, I had Shayla bring this in for me, and I appreciate that, all right? Uh, this, this obviously is an hourglass, and in that hourglass, there are a certain amount of grains of sand. And obviously, there are a lot of them falling now. But eventually, we're going to get to the point where there are no more grains of sand falling from the top to the bottom. 
It will end one day. In about one minute. Uh, it will end. And for each of us, we have to remember this, okay? There are a fixed number of days for each of our lives. For each life in this world, period. And we don't know when the end is. See, we know that we have a birthday. Everybody think of your birthday in your mind. Mine's coming, so everybody just take note. Um, you, you know what your birthday is. But we forget that we have, for lack of a better term, a death day. And again, I'm not trying to be morbid, but I want us to have perspective. We, we have a death day. Uh, what, what the Bible says is this. Psalm 90, 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days. God, give me perspective to know that I don't have forever. Give me perspective to know that the people around me don't have forever. And even, take that on a smaller scale, give me perspective to know that I don't have forever with the people around me. You may not work at the job that you work at forever. You, you're hopefully not going to go to school at where you go to school forever. Uh, some of you may feel like that, but I promise you won't. You may not live in the place that you live forever. Our days are numbered. That's the perspective that we need to have. Um, those who reflect on this fact, this is what I think God is trying to teach us, those who reflect on this fact that our days are numbered are those who live their lives the wisest. Those who live with this perspective are those who live the wisest lives. Why? We don't waste time. What does the Bible say? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. To redeem is to get value out of something. You only have so many days. You have so, only have so many grains of sand before that is. Are we using them valuably? The perspective that we need to have. You know, when death is a reality to us, Things that don't really matter, don't really matter. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've had a near-death experience. I, I don't think I've had any of those. And if I have, I don't know about them, thankfully. Um, but if, if you have that, or, or if sickness, uh, those that have to deal with a sickness like cancer, uh, where death is a possibility, when you have that kind of perspective, the things that don't matter, don't matter. It doesn't matter if I got a like or somebody saw my post on Instagram. It doesn't matter if my team won. Uh, it doesn't matter if, you know, thus or such happened in my life. Um, when we realize that our days are numbered, we'll start living for something that matters. We'll start living for a kingdom that will never end. And so our first perspective we need to have is numbered. Our days are numbered. Uh, there, there is an end, and we need to make sure that we're living that way. Uh, next, tekel. The second word was tekel. We've got to move through these quickly. Tekel is weighed. There are only a few times that you see God's finger mentioned specifically doing something in Scripture. There are evidences of God's finger. Uh, the, the, the Bible talks about God's but there are only a few times that you actually read about God's finger in Scripture. The first time is in Exodus, when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. 
He writes it, the Bible says he wrote it on a tablet of stone with his finger. That's the first time. The second time is this that we just read about in Daniel chapter number 5, where God writes on the wall. The third time, this is interesting, the third time is, you remember that story in, in uh, I think it's John or Luke, it's in John, where Jesus is teaching and the Pharisees all bring this woman caught in adultery to him. And, and they throw him down and they said, Jesus, this woman is caught in adultery, what are you going to do about it? And what does the Bible say? Jesus kneels down. And he just starts writing in the sand with his finger, specifically. And he doesn't say anything. And so they're all standing there, and we all know what Jesus says. He says, you without sin cast the first stone. And then one by one, those guys left. And I don't know what Jesus was writing in the sand. I don't know if he was writing the names of all those guys' as mistresses. Sally... Mary. But one by one, they all left. But it's interesting because, and again, I, I don't know. That, that's just my opinion. But at least the first two times, whenever you see God's finger, it's always bringing judgment. It's bringing judgment. Ten commandments. No one can live up to those. Writing on the wall, that's judgment. So in other words, basically, you don't want God to give you the finger. Anyway, um, sorry, that was bad. Um, but when we see judgment, we, we see judgment here uh, in Scripture. Uh, let me say this, okay? I, I didn't have one of these. I tried to track one of these down. You've all seen uh, a balancing scale, okay? Uh, scale of justice. And in Bible times, there was a, there was a, a measure, uh, a common standard of measurement that was placed on one side, and then whatever you were trying to weigh out, whether it was food or or, or money or something, was uh, uh, put on the other side, and they had to, to equal. They had to balance. And when they didn't, if, if, if it, whatever you're putting on the other side from the standard didn't balance, if it didn't weigh up, then it, the Bible says, or it was found wanting. It was found wanting. Uh, can I say that as we think about how our days are numbered, that every single one of us, when those days that are numbered are over, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us will stand before Christ. And the Bible says that on one side of the scale is the full weight. of the, the, the Bible. That word glory, whenever you read about glory, the glory of God, that, that literally means weight. It has weight. It has substance. So on one side of the scale is the full glory of Jesus Christ and all of His perfection and righteousness. And the other side is you. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You will always be found wanting. Every single one of us will be found wanting when compared to the glory of Christ. Every single one of us will be weighed and found wanting. Now, why is this important? And why is this perspective that we need to have? Okay? Because when it comes to our lives, uh, when you sin, I'm a judge. When you sin, I can tell you what you did wrong and why you did it wrong and how you should get it right and what's going to happen to you because you did wrong. When I sin, I'm a judge. Or when you sin, I'm a judge. When I sin, I'm a defense attorney. When I sin, oh, well, you've got to know the circumstances. When I sin, well, let me tell you exactly why. Let me smooth this over, okay? It wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, and, and never is this more true than if you've ever spent time in an express checkout line at the grocery store. 
Okay? They're not as common anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, the 12 items or less? Um, but when they first came out, you've never done math so quick in your head as when you get in line behind someone that looks like they have too much in their cart. You know, you, you, you've never counted so fast. And then as you stand behind them, I only know this because I've done this with my mother. Uh, just kidding. Uh, I, when you stand behind them, then, you, then you, you, you try to say things just loud enough that they might hear. Man, I don't know. I don't know if they can't read or can't count. But anyway, uh, and, and, you know, but when you get in line, you know, when, when, when you sin, I'm a judge. But when I get in line and I'm in a hurry, you know, and I've got 12, 13, 14, 15, when I've got things over the limit, you know, if someone tried to question me, well, that's Coke and Diet Coke. That's one thing. Uh, you know, when I sin, I'm a defense attorney. And here's what we need to remember, Okay. When we talk about the scales, we, we have to defend ourselves, but we cannot when it comes to being compared to the glory of Christ. And we hate that as people, as, as society, as the world in general. We hate that we will be found wanting because we have too high of an opinion of ourselves. We have too high of an opinion of ourselves. Uh, we've been told our whole lives that we're a snowflake, a rainbow, a puppy's breath. Uh, that if we have a life coach, that, that uh, you know, we'll, we'll, all we need is a life coach to give us good tips and we're going to have a great life. Here's your participation medal. Uh, folks, let me tell you, we are not people who just make mistakes in need of a better life coach. We are sinners in need of a Savior. That is the perspective that we have to have. We are, we are weighed and found wanting. Uh, we are, for the most part, totally oblivious or willingly ignorant of our sinful condition before God. And, and the world is this way, and that's why we have to share the gospel with them. But even as Christians, we can remember, we can forget where we came from. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There it is. We, we don't measure up. We don't, it doesn't balance out. We've been weighed and found wanting. And that's why it leads people to ask the question, and I'm sure you've been asked this question, or you have asked this question, why do bad things happen to good people? We wonder that. Uh, why, why, why do bad things happen to good people? But here's the problem with that question. Because we're making an assumption that there are good people. We're making an assumption that there are good people who deserve good things. But when that question was asked to theologian R.C. Sproul, why do bad things happen to good people? He said this, that only happened once and he volunteered. So only, there's only the society and history, the story of human history is that we are all bad guys and there was only one good guy and his name is Jesus and he came to die for our sins. And that's the perspective that we have to have. Uh, we are weighed and found wanting. The perspective that we need, if we're going to be an influence over the society, then we have to remember our days are numbered and we are weighed and found wanting. Jesus Christ is the only one who is righteous and we have to share that with others. The cross simultaneously proved that man hated God enough to kill him and God loved man enough to die for him. The cross simultaneously proved that man, that's, this is a perspective, man hated God enough to kill him, and God loved man enough to die for him. And then lastly, and we'll, we'll just mention this and we'll be done. The last one was Perez, or divided. Daniel told Belshazzar, he said, Belshazzar, you have sinned, you have been lifted up with pride, you have not humbled yourself, you will be judged, and your kingdom will be taken away from you. It will be divided. Be divided between the Medes and the Persians, the kingdom that would come after him. 
And, and as we think about you know, our own lives, then this story in Daniel 5, that's not the only time that a kingdom has been taken away from his king, at least for a time. Because when Jesus came to this world, he left the throne of heaven. Uh, and, and because God is just, payments for sin must be made. But because God is love, then he made that payment for us. And Jesus' Jesus' kingdom was taken from him for a time. Uh, he was still the king, but he did not have heaven to be a part of. And when he went to the cross, he was divided. What does the Bible say in John 19, 23? Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. They divided his garments. And to every soldier, a part and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. What, why can we and why should we resist the influence of the world? And why should we give influence I can and should we give influence over the world because of this. Jesus was numbered. Jesus was numbered. Jesus was, was given a death day. The Bible also says he was numbered with the sinners. And he who became sin for us, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He was weighed and found wanting. He had to endure the judgment of God upon the cross. And he was divided. He was separated from his father so that you and I don't have to be. Jesus was numbered, weighed, and divided for you. Uh, and that's the great exchange. The, great, the perspective that we need to have in order to do this is the great exchange that everything that was yours, your sin, became his. And everything that was his or is his becomes yours, his righteousness. Because of that, we can have influence over this world. So take that perspective. As you go out, you have conversation, you have opportunity to influence others around you. Remember, time is short. Time is short. We are all sinners before God, but Jesus paid that price so that I can love, so that I can help, so someone else can know hope.